The bigger they are, the easier they are to blow up with a slightly on fire brood. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. Welcome back, everyone, to another issue. Issue? Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, off the press. Final transmission. Plopped on your doorstep. Welcome, <laughs> subscribers. Creak open those pages and let's get reading. Kaz just messaged me and said episode. That's the word I was Episode. For. Okay. <laughs> you got a producer off to one side feeding you, feeding you lines. Nice. Episode. episode, yes. Welcome to this episode of Final Transmission. It's nice to be here. Yes. So today we're going to cover... Uh, the 1993 Tony Randall backwards gooey glopfest ticks. It's going to amaze you to learn that I had not seen ticks before <laughs> watching for this episode. <laughs> Nor was I familiar with Tony Randall. Have I missed anything from this dude that I should have seen? Yeah, definitely. He directed Hellraiser 2, okay. which I'm pretty sure you have seen, haven't you? No, I've only seen Hellraiser 1. I've been saving two for the pod. It is on the list. <laughs> That's very interesting. What? Which came first, ticks or Hellraiser 2? Uh, I want to say Hellraiser 2. Okay. I think that might have been his first like feature. Wow. And then he just topped it with, with Tix. Nice. So Tix, based on an idea by Doug Bessick, the special effects designer. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a special effects forward movie. Okay. Not that you would tell too much, I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, the, the special effects are definitely spinal to this movie, I think. But there is also... Uh, a story there. Yeah, there is. Kind of. And um, produced by <laughs> Brian Usner, mm-hmm. who uh, is a sort of the late 80s, early 90s horror Uber producer. Produced everything sort of cheesy but dead good in that time. So you've got Society, you've got The Reanimators. I think he directed a, a, a few things later on. Did a lot of work with Stuart Gordon. Mm-hmm. And also, as we know, produced Ticks. Some serious chops. There's a lot of talent involved in this movie, both in the cast and in the, you know, in the production team, and a lot of a lot of fairly juicy trivia. Some good uh, movies coming off the back of this and, and launching a few careers here and there. So, Tex is an interesting commodity. It it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I'll be totally honest, but it, um, right. I learned a thing or two in the process of watching this movie and looking a few bits up. How would you feel about dropping a synopsis for for those out there that haven't watched it? Yeah, I'll give it a try. So in L.A., somewhere in L.A., there's a group of troubled teens, all in their 40s, who <laughs> who need to be taken to the wilderness to <laughs> not be troubled teens anymore. And uh, they travel to the wilderness with a, a supportive couple who look to save troubled teens. And when they get there, they find that rascally marijuana growers in the woods have caused a horrific mutation in one of nature's most hardy bloodsuckers. And mayhem ensues. We have uh, mutant ticks running wild in the wilderness, chomping, biting, sucking, and blowing up all kinds of shit. And that's yeah. that's what I saw. <laughs> I think the optimum word there is sucking. No, no, no suckage in any of the promo. I looked up some of the promo. I would have hoped for like ticks sucks or you know something uh something <laughs> yeah. brutal like that but i got nothing i found nothing will you give it up man nobody's out there we're alone 
Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Oof, I thought we'd never get a break. How you doing? Not too bad, how about you? Good, just hanging out listening to this new Bowl Weevils record. First one since 1995. How's that for a stoker? Nice. How does it sound? Sounds amazing. It's called Essential. It's out on Red Scare Industries. And uh, I would say their best record since 1995. Nice. It's an absolute banger. Get your hands on it now. And you said it's out on Red Scare Industries? It is out on Red Scare Industries, yeah. That's uh, one more time. Red Scare Industries is the label. Nice. I heard that they're celebrating... 20 years of being a label next year. 20 years next year, yeah. I bet it's uh, flown by for everyone except the bands. Do you think we've had enough of a break and we should probably talk about some films again? Yeah, let's get down this slip and slide and see what's waiting for us at the end. So uh, so w- what did you think? Right off the bat, just go straight for the jugular. What did you What did you think? Launch me in. I There were aspects of this movie that I really enjoyed. I loved all the stuff that I usually love about movies like this. There were some standout performances by some pretty reliable character actors that we'll get into, I'm sure. Some superb creature effects that maybe didn't go as far as I kind of hoped, but were pretty mm. good. A really decent score and some genuinely decent sort of set pieces, I thought. I, I, I like the trope of mutant creatures and mutant insects, and I really like the trope of them being mutated by any kind of goo. So I was all in on that part of the concept. In terms of movies that we've done so far on the pod, I'm going to put this lower down the pile. I've got to be completely honest. But it was very entertaining. I was interested in talking to you about this specifically in relation to uh, Splinter. Sure. Because I think they they share a lot of the same genes. Mm. You've got people in the backwoods. Mm-hmm. You've got some some criminals, some of them good acting some mm-hmm. of them this movie <laughs> i feel like this is what happens ticks is what happens when you when you try and make splinter but you price fun over the experience so they're, they're trying to make a film that is similar to splinter although you know 20 20 odd years earlier mm. but they want to have fun with it yeah I, I completely agree i think there's a very different kind of humor in both these movies yeah and that that underpins a lot of where the horror goes. I didn't find this even remotely scary, not even for a second, not even slightly unnerving even. But the, a lot of the comedy did kind of ring my bell. So yeah, yeah, a very different property, a, a creature flick for sure. Very, very B-movie vibes. Something yeah. that you would fucking love to see it like a drive through or something like that. drive through, drive in. Yeah. Drive in. Just while, <laughs> while you're waiting for your McDonald's. <laughs> exactly you can tell it's the morning can't you but yeah no that's i mean that's exactly it for me like a very different kind of fun a, a much heavier heavier handed approach to the the comedy aspects of this horror and mm. far less in terms of character nuance um and just uh, i think yeah you're right like coming from the same egg but a completely different creature yeah one that i liked but one that splinter ticks way more of my boxes in that regard like i would watch splinter again i would probably not watch this again but that being said, something I liked about the overall feel of this is it felt a little bit to me like an Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. It had that kind of flat, kind of brownie orangey color palette that a lot of those episodes had. And then it suddenly it's all cyan and blue. And, and then it had that very low production value feel to the vast majority of the, you know, the, the character interactions and the kind of build up pieces. And it was kind of paced like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark as well. Um, yeah. or, or something in that vein. But, you know, that doesn't take anything away from the fact that I did enjoy watching this from start to finish. Should we take a little tour through the uh, through the characters that were that were that were there? So we, we start it. off 
and we're, we're introduced to my co-host here, Clint Howard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude, here I am. <laughs> the things I learned about Clint Howard from just reading about this movie. Obviously, I love Clint Howard. Who doesn't? I had no fucking idea that he was related to Ron Howard by being his goddamn brother and that Rance Howard is their daddy-o. Yeah, I mean, I think because we don't see an awful lot of Ron Howard anymore because he's because he's behind the camera. Yeah. Um, but Ron Howard, uh, Clint Howard rather, does look like if you sort of squished Ron yeah. Howard's head. It's always been pretty clear to me, but I but I I think I already knew. I just had no idea. No, interesting. And I pieced it together by seeing Rance Howard in this movie and being like, hold on, he looks a bit like Clint Howard, and they have the same name. And then I looked <laughs> it up and I was like, oh shit, it's a whole family of Howards. They're all just very attractive men. Yes, I love Clint Howard. I think he's there's there's something special about Ron Howard's brother just trying to make a living in shitty B movies. And I I, he made a great living though, do you know what I mean? No, I absolutely, yeah. He's in so much and he's so iconic in those circles. I bet he's fine. <laughs> I bet he's had a great career. I'm trying to think of him in terms of Nicolas Cage. Like where's his leaving Las Vegas? Where's Oh, his... like a leading role. Yeah, or not even like a leading role, but like his like serious like I'm gonna oh. fucking nail this role. Probably not the water boy. No. No, probably not. Uh, which is what he springs to mind immediately for, uh, for I me. I think that speaks to the, the difference between <laughs> me and you. Because for me, it's the ice cream man where he plays a killer ice cream man. Yes. And that, well, maybe that's it. Like, it's, that's in no way serious, but he's got a lot of screen time in that. Yeah, yeah. He is the, the main man. He's in the Rob Zombie Halloween movies as well, isn't he? I seem to remember. He gets around. And the whole way through this, I'm I'm spending a lot of my time watching this movie, waiting for him to appear and kind of hoping that there'd be more. And I feel that that kind of performance is a massive success, isn't it? If the audience is yeah. like, more please, where are you? What's happening with this character while all this other action's going on? Then you've smashed it. Well, I think they, they, they almost sort of set up like he dies, like pretty early on. For like, sure. I think you, you are you supposed to think that the glob like crushes his head? Yeah. But, but he comes back. It's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. And, and that's... He's okay. That that whole sequence brings in a lot of those POV shots that I really liked in the movie where you get creature POV, you get falling egg POV, you get lots of like flying into people's faces and way too close and uncomfortable camera angles that I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. yeah he bring. I think he necessitates a lot of that with his incredible face. Like, yeah. I'd be amazed if at some point during this production they weren't just like, right, we need to get as much of this guy's face as possible, get in close. Uh, let's make people feel creeped. So yeah, he's obviously superb. Who else have we got? We've got Seth Green in a pretty early performance. Yeah, Seth. I think Seth Green is what is is what really gives it that sort of nails on that uh, "Are you afraid of the dark?" quality because it's like for sure. Obviously, in "Are you afraid of the dark?" we had loads of actors like that. We mm-hmm. had like Gosling appearing in episodes and things like that way before they were anybody. But that super sort of Gen X grungy nineties. Yeah. This is what this is what kids look like, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He's so grunge, and it's it's great. And I, he, I think he really nails his sort of slightly over the top anxiety boy performance. I think he does too. As much as I, I'm probably not like the world's biggest Seth Green in a kind of leading role uh, fan. Like I, I really kind of hoped at the start of this movie we weren't going to spend quite as much time with him and his narrative because I thought it was a pretty simple like, oh, okay, anxious kid in the city now going to the woods. I don't really need like too much of that. But I was yeah. really pleased by the fact that 
yeah, I thought it was obviously over the top and hammy, and but I think he was trying to do that. I don't think this was a yeah. bad performance. I think he was deliberately trying to be that way. Yeah, I kind of I found him kind of hard to look at. I know that sounds mean, but he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he's not looking his best in this movie. I don't think he's like. I mean, he looks fantastic now. Look at it that way. Yeah. But back then, he's just kind of gawky in all the ways that I don't find particularly uh, exciting to look at in a movie like this. But yeah, I think he put in a pretty solid performance given the pretty narrow brief. Yeah, I think there's some there's some like interesting nuance there as well in terms of his character because like mm. we're we're introduced to him and he's this absolute bag of anxiety mm-hmm. with a terribly incompassionate dad. Yep. Who is the source of that anxiety yeah. is later revealed, which is insane. Like yeah. be better dads. Dads all over the world. <laughs> Watch this movie and be better. Yeah, don't get drunk and leave your kid hugging a tree in the woods for two nights. It's a low bar. But yeah, but there's some, there's some nuance there because like when he's not in that anxiety moment, when he's got something to to sort of fight against, whether it's Carlton Banks mm. or, or it's Killer Ticks, mm-hmm. like he really steps up. And I think it's I think it's it's believable in a way that he um, when he's sort of forced to step outside of that anxiety, he's. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That speaks to me as a, as an anxious man. Yeah, but it's it's well written, I think, because his his sort of progress out of being so anxiety ridden that he can't stand still in a place alone without spinning out and falling over, it's incrementally improved by these slightly stressful situations. It's almost like you know, uh, it's kind of a, a journey through exposure therapy. Like he's gradually getting better yeah. at it, and then there's a, a you know a pretty huge climax where he steps up. But I, I did like that as well, and I thought his performance was you know maybe not like subtle in that regard but you could see what he was trying to bring to that he was trying to get stronger as the movie goes on for a big climax and i respect that i think that was quite good yeah and then sort of converse to that you've got alfonso ribeiro mm-hmm. your boy as the la street gang tough i'm guessing you've got a lot to say about alfonso ribeiro in this movie <laughs> i don't have too much to say really i think it's <laughs> okay. i think it's i think it's great i think he's yeah. giving off absolute lin-manuel miranda vibes like <laughs> Like, technically he's black, but come on, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> I think he was way tougher in this than I thought he had in his bag. i got to be honest. Like, there was only a couple of moments where he slipped into Carlton. And, you know, the re- and that was mostly just like a speech thing. Uh, he's obviously got naturally, I think, well, I say obviously, I have no idea, but I'm guessing he has quite a soft voice naturally and quite a, mm. quite a rounded sort of dialect. You know, there's, there's parts of this where I thought he was pretty convincingly tough. Maybe I have a low bar for... LA tough guys but the combo of like loud sweatpants and a gray overcoat it's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah no I, I mean I love him in this movie I think yeah. I, I just do not buy it I think there's one scene where I, where, <laughs> where him saying Holmes feels like words coming out of his mouth <laughs> yeah and it's the bit where Seth Green is sticking the coat hanger into the into the yeah. gloopy closet gloop yeah and, uh, I know the exact and, moment you mean. <laughs> and it's like the only time that he says Holmes and it's like, yes, you're a person that would say Holmes. Yes, I believe you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I feel like I'm maybe way more generous to this. Maybe I'm, I think Seth Green is your boy in this and maybe Alfonso Rivera is my boy in this. Cause I, I thought for the, for the whole, you know, for the whole movie, I wouldn't say he was carrying it, but again, you were kind of like, he's the, he's the spark. He's the instigator. This is the performance that makes other things happen. Everyone else is just a bit drippy and a bit nothingy. And he at least is like sticking that Jimmy bar in there and making things happen, which is why I thought it was very interesting. They essentially removed him from the movie (laughs) fairly early on. But I I liked I liked what he brought in terms of energy. Yeah, I mean, 
obviously we'll get into spoilers, but mm. he, he's the only character that isn't a bad guy that dies. Yeah, good point. Yeah, which is I don't know. I don't know if if, if the film or the writers or whoever has some twisted morality, but like he is. He's a troubled kid. Troubled. Mm. He's got. He's got a knife, and he says Holmes. And like he's 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 kind of a dick, and he robs mm. from people. So is 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 the film lumping him in with the literal criminals, or is it just that we needed someone to die? It might as well be this character. I think he, because he's a strong character, it's he's good to kill. Yeah, he does take a pounding. It, he's he's being punished for most of the movie, and I think out of all the characters that exist in the movie if you were going to kill kill one kind of slowly and incrementally it would have to be a relatively tough character i mean that's my knee-jerk reaction to that situation i think also like you're supposed to like him really aren't you like he's arresting at first you're quite shocked by his his behavior in the beginning and then as time goes on you kind of fall in love with him a bit because he has an amazing and quite beautiful relationship with a dog, which is an immediate winner for a lot of audiences. Yeah. Again, we'll get into what happens to the dog later, but I think through that process, you're supposed to go on side with him and then be pretty pissed off by how he's treated and how he's eventually ended. So again, like I thought that was, I'm not going to say like fantastic writing, but I thought that was quite a clever little arc for him to take him out of the play early was quite surprising and, have him on his side quest. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I just, I, I, I do wonder about the casting of, of Alfonso there. Yeah. And whether it's sort of, obviously this movie came out three years into the into the Fresh Prince run. So mm. everybody in the world basically was familiar with Carlton Banks. Mm. So like, it seems pretty knowing and pretty on point that, they, that they've done this and they've, and they've sort of cast him in, in opposition to to Carlton mm. but I feel like you could have done better I I, feel, I almost feel like the guy who what's his name Rome I feel um, like that could have been one character yeah for sure I feel like I would have bought him more as like he was the, more of like a ladies man type yeah or like I, I would have bought him as like a, an LA gangster with a hot girlfriend sure, sure. a gang banger or whatever <laughs> bang whatever they ganger. call them he's not a gang banger he's banging the gang yeah that's the he's, he's in the barrel <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, I love speculating as to what was going on in his career at this point that led him to do this. Was he asking for tough guy roles so he wasn't completely typecast? Or was his agent looking for, you know, something to broaden his appeal so that when inevitably Fresh Prince ended, maybe he had something to progress into that wasn't the same? Or was he just, you know, cheap uh, at this point? I don't know if he would be cheap because he would have been in like one of the most popular shows on TV. But I yeah. mean, I guess we're, we're in an era here where people didn't really cross over from TV to movies and movies back to TV in quite the way that they do these days in the mm. in the era of prestige television. But yeah, no, it's it, I think it's interesting, and I think maybe you're on it there with with the idea that he's he's looking to play something in direct opposition to Carlton. Yeah. So he's got something for the for the real when he's when he's trying to make trying to make it after Fresh Prince, which I don't think he does because no, I remember seeing really him in not. anything but these two things. I mean also you get to the point at the end of a show like that, I'm sure, where you you're like, do I love acting or do I love just being rich and not doing much? And essentially retire in your thirties, early thirties probably. I find it interesting that he's he's doing something so tonally different to Fresh Prince during the run. I think that's that's crazy. And he, he's dipping out of Fresh Prince uh, to do kind of a cheap horror movie, yeah. That, that where he doesn't bring much comedy at all. Like he's not he's not even like I mean I don't know if he's supposed to be, but I didn't find him particularly funny in this. And uh, that seems to be his bread and butter is kind of twee 
mainstream television, you know, nerdy humor. He doesn't, preppy humor, I guess, prep. He's kind of a preppy guy. It uh, doesn't bring that, brings something completely different. Does it pretty well, in my opinion, but not so well that it launched a career in horror <laughs> at all. No. So I'm just looking at his IMDb. I completely forgot that he, when they did the extreme Ghostbusters in the late 90s, that he was the, the voice of the, the, the black Ghostbuster. Winston. So when they when they did Extreme Ghostbusters, they were all... Oh, new. they were different dudes. Okay, right. Yeah. I never saw any of that. And he did other sitcoms. He did In in the House with LL Cool J. I mean, he's fine. Let's be honest. Like, if you like him as Carlton Banks, you, you like Carlton Banks. You don't like Alfonso Ribeiro, do you? Like, if, no. if, you, if you like that role, that's what you like. You don't like his career, necessarily. Because it ain't much of a career, and it's, it, you know, it's tough to... To imagine how what that duality must be like to be essentially one character for your whole career and get kind of typecast and maybe not yeah. allowed to soar as a result of doing such a fucking amazing job of one character. Like it's not to take away from the fact he's he's incredible in that role and there's yeah. genuinely some really good performances in Fresh Prince from him. So yeah, you know he absolutely nails one thing incredibly well and it looks like he dipped into a bunch of other things and did them okay and he's probably a very satisfied performer as a result the the person that i often think about into in 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 terms of like huge sitcom success that has that has managed to sort of break out of that is bob saget okay yeah 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 and and, and i I think that's because bob saget was like a comedian before he was danny tanner Mm. his comedy was 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 again so in opposition to his character that that when he left that and when he's not doing america's funniest home videos or now being dead (laughs) he is just being really filthy and hilarious. <laughs> Career move. Being dead. Yeah, Saget. I always think, I don't know why, I always think of Matthew Perry, who I don't really like, but I always think there's a guy who, we, we all know how much those guys got paid in Friends. Uh, he did some other stuff that was okay, but he was kind of the same guy in a lot of those movies that he did off of the side of Friends. Yeah, and he was in the uh, the Aaron Sorkin Saturday Night Live show. Right. Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And what, doing the same the same shit? Yeah, I mean, so that show was was fine, but it but it came out at the exact same time as 30 Rock. Right. And that was what that was what sort of killed that show because it wasn't 30 Rock and the world wanted 30 Rock at that time. Got you. He's almost the opposite of Carlton Banks because mm. or Alfonso Romero because Alfonso Romero is an actor who played Carlton Banks. Yeah. And Matthew Perry is Matthew Perry, who was just cast as Chandler Bing. <laughs> yeah, he's Chandler Bing, who, when he's not doing that, just is Matthew Perry. They're basically, yeah. like, probably fairly... I mean, I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to do a little bit more uh, digging around that because his book is actually supposed to be quite insightful. Oh, really? I mean, I, I straight up don't like Friends, and I don't really like any of those... any of the people in Friends as actors necessarily that much. But I do find their careers fascinating because you're in you know, you're in this series that ends up defining an era of television and kind of being one of the top shows of its type of all time, especially in terms of like ratings, viewership and fandom. And then, and then what? It's quite an interesting question, isn't it? What do you do? Can you do anything after that? I mean, Jennifer Aniston's had an incredible career, I think. She's done some really quite respectworthy stuff. Courtney Cox as well. And the, the men less so, but. Matt LeBlanc was in fucking, uh, Lost in Space, pretty good in that, I thought. Yeah, pretty he good. Hosted, he hosted Top Gear for that one season. <laughs> oh, good Lord, did he really? 
<laughs> these are the things I don't want to know, Jamie. Just don't tell me these things. Yeah, he he's on a he's on a terrible sitcom now where it's like, oh, dad's always wrong. Oh, dad's always drunk. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, fuck yeah. those guys is what I'm saying about friends. But, you know, someone like Ribeiro, you kind of I, I wanted to see him have a career. I wanted to see his 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 shit uh, expand a little bit more. But, you know, we got him in this and I'm proven wrong because he wasn't very good. But <laughs> I think he was basically <laughs> fine. Who else we got? We got Amy DeLenz as Dee Dee Davenport. Your mate's daughter. Yep. Your We've got uh, <laughs> my mate Mick. Yep. <laughs> Uh, well, that's really the game I was going to play, Jamie. I was going to ask you, out of everyone in this cast, who, which mem- which actor do you think I've met in real life? <laughs> well, Mickey DeLenz is not in this. Oh, I guess, have you met Amy DeLenz as well? Yeah, dude. What, what a life you lead. What a life I led. Yeah, it's all past tense. I mean, what do you, what do you think of her in this movie? She's there to be incredibly beautiful and a bit spoiled. And she's incredibly beautiful and a bit spoiled. She doesn't die, does she? She no. I was so sure she was going to die from the second she showed up. And I was just counting it down and she didn't. Dee Dee Davenport didn't die. Nope. Dee Dee Davenport, good name. Character's fine. Have you, I'm assuming, I mean, she's in Pumpkinhead 2, which I know you've seen. Do you rate yeah. her in that any better than Like, she, she, she is a character or an actress who is there sometimes. Yeah, she's very much there. I think unlike... Alfonso, I guess mm. his, he's the, the the anchor for this episode. But unlike Alf. Alfonso, she has no need to be in movies. Mm. And unlike, I guess, the phrase that we use in 2023 is Nepo babies. Unlike mm. all the other Nepo babies, she doesn't bring an awful lot to the table. No, she like, doesn't. You're right. You, you've got all these sort of actors that have been given uh, incredible opportunities because mm. of who their parents are or who their family is. Sometimes you get the impression that they don't have to work very hard, but some of them mm. do work really hard. Some of them are really and, well trained. Yeah. Amy Delenz does not work very hard. No. And I think, <laughs> but again, what interests me in terms of like her career at this point is, is this all she could get or is this what she actually wanted to do? Did she want to be like a second rate B-movie scream queen type actress performer artist or did she just get whatever she could get because i would have thought she could get more slash better based on who her dad is yeah so i find it interesting that she ends up in this movie tony randall's coming off hellraiser 2 which mm. was a which was a big a big horror movie sure brian brian usner is a is a producer with bags of money to make ostensibly fairly low budget but quite big budget low budget uh horror films mm. i think the, the pair of them have some of that pull you've got mm. the special effects guy he he was involved in star wars he was uh he animated for gumby he's like mm. got a really long storied career in like sure. special effects and animation so i think between the three of them this film makes quite an attractive prospect is that to say that it's kind of a flop because it doesn't like with that lineup you would expect i don't you know i'm not gonna be mean and say you'd expect more but like this obviously didn't break the world in half did it Tix is not like a household name should it have is it poorly executed by that standard i mean i think we're in a period where lots and lots of films like this are coming out sure they can't all be winners yeah and i think there's there's nothing in this movie that makes it any better or worse than any of the sort of 
mid-budget horror output that's coming out in the early 90s. Sure. I think it's I think it's a bit of a crapshoot, really, and this crap didn't shoot as well as some of the other crap. <laughs> it's a lot of crap. I mean, i tell you who blew me away in this, uh, who I thought was pretty outstanding, was uh, Rosalind Allen as Holly Lambert. I thought she was great. I have more on Amy Delenn's I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> okay, here's my thinking. She's just very consistent. Yeah. She's always, she delivers lines well. She's not like fucking looking at the camera like Amy Delenn's. She's, she's, she fills the boots of like the strong, protective, matriarchal, you know, a very powerful feminine character in this movie quite well. And she looks fantastic for my money throughout the film. Yeah. She brings she brings a really strong look and a really big energy to all the scenes that she's in. She does yeah. not slip into the lame supporting female role at all. She outshines her, her co-star in Peter Scolari, in my opinion. And she, she just kind of pulls a lot of focus. And I, I had a lot of respect for her performance and how she how believable she was in this role. I wanted to know more about her, which is a good you know, a good sign. We don't get a lot of her backstory or much about the relationship with uh, Charles, but we are treated to some good on-screen chemistry from them, including one interrupted bang scene, which was uh, cut short, I felt. Yeah, cut short by the fire. Yeah, a pretty good uh, pretty good fire scene as well. I thought that was quite well executed in terms of showing us a little bit about all the characters and, and you know, their relationship with nature and their lack of understanding of risk, etc. I thought that was quite well well drawn. Yeah. Much better than the captain's log scene earlier in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that shit was so lame. I was kind of hoping when he whipped out the dictaphone that was going to be his thing for the whole movie. Does it once, puts it away, done. <laughs> it was fucking... That was weak. Speaking of weak, uh, Virginia Keene as Melissa Danson, boring. Yeah, boring. Yep, I'm moving on. Like... Uh, <laughs> what did you think of Pete Scolari as Charles Danson? I thought I thought he did all right. Yeah, I mean, I... I have a real soft spot for Pete Scolari. He was in the um, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show that I used to watch when I was a kid. Interesting. So I've always sort of kind of liked him. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know about what he does in this though. Nah. Like a bit vanilla. He's, he's just the sort of there. He's just sort of doing their things. Mm. I mean, the impression that you get is that he's just um, Holly's boyfriend, right? And yeah. he's not really involved in this this thing like why is he allowed to take kids into the woods that's why i was so surprised to learn from just looking through the imdb after watching it that they're actually married they have the same name and oh no they don't sorry they don't i'm completely wrong there uh they're not married so they must be living in sin um trying to bang it up in the woods i guess the impression i got is that they run this uh charitable endeavor together quite poorly he doesn't this is the thing for me he doesn't have a character in this he needs to have like a two-dimensional baseline to his character in this movie to work he needs to either be the rugged outdoorsman who's trying to or maybe with a heart of gold who's trying to socialize these maniac kids a little bit or he needs to be a bit more of a a whelp and a bit more of a city boy who's trying to be the woodsman guy for the sake of his girlfriend for the sake of these kids and he's neither of those he falls squarely in the middle he's really boring and he just sort of Exactly as you just put it, he's just there in a lot of these scenes, and he's fine at doing a few things, and that's about it. He doesn't yeah. doesn't heighten any tension or bring anything particularly notable. But he is he, again, he's visually pretty good to look at. I think 
I like the way his face behaves in a lot of this. I feel like if he had a little bit more in terms of script and dialogue, he could probably do a lot more with the role. But he's got these like great gappy teeth and he looks really interesting. So I, I like that aspect of it. He's running around with his shirt open some of the time, which is quite fun. It's one of my favorite things. So yeah, not a lot, not a lot for me uh, from him, but not a, a slight on his career or his performance. I just think he didn't have much to work with. We've 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 sort of stumbled on one of the real issues with this film, which is mm. that that it's sort of it's overwritten and it's and it's like okay. In films like this, there are this many characters, so mm-hmm. we need to have this many characters. And in films like this, the characters are these archetypes, so we need to have these archetypes. For sure. And they didn't need these archetypes. And to go back to Splinter, mm-hmm. you could you could merge like because if you merge all of these archetypes together, you yeah. get the, the the three slash four characters that that you get throughout Splinter. Sure. And especially when you're not killing them. Mm. When people aren't dying, oh, yeah, you, don't, yeah. you don't need a cast this big for a for a movie like this. Yeah, which which Friday the Thirteenth is it that starts at the camp? Is that f- four, five, five? It's five, isn't it? New, yeah. New Hope or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, there's a there's a movie for, that we're going to disagree on big time. I think that fucking movie sucks, donkey dick. I really don't like that Friday the Thirteenth. And I'm a big Friday the Thirteenth fan, and I know you love it. It might be your favorite. Um, I mean, it's I don't know if it's my favorite, but I think the Tommy Jarvis trilogy is the is the peak of the F13 saga. I know you disagree, and that's because you're wrong. <laughs> well, we should, you know, at some point we're going to hit the Friday the Thirteenth movies hard. I think, and yeah, for me, you get those vibes of uh, you know, the the troubled kids in a you know, uh, not a summer camp, like a, a um, like a countryside retreaty type situation where they're supposed to be socialized through nature, et cetera, et cetera. And it starts like that. And I, initially I'm thinking, don't let your experience of Friday the 13th part five color your experience of this movie, which is going to have the same plot. And then it doesn't. It does something completely different in that these kids don't die. They're not killed by, you know, the ticks or the antagonist. Largely, they survive. And the the crux of the movie isn't that they're being killed off one by one in any sort of like pseudo moralistic psycho rampage type way. So I was pleased for that not to happen. But I think there's way too many fucking characters in this movie if you're not going to kill them. I completely agree with what you're saying. Like yeah. they need to all be dead. It needs to be Seth Green clinging to a tree at the end for dear life and then managing to walk out of the woods somehow, which is exactly where I saw it going in terms of story. And it didn't. They all fucking survived. So who cares, kind of? Yeah, like only only the bad guys and the black guys die. Yeah, that's the that's nineties horror. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's 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 just weird because you've got all these killer takes, and there's literally you're meant to think that there are thousands of them. Sure. I mean, you might see four at a time. Mm. You see four at a time lots of times. Yes. Because they had maybe four, four ticks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are the ticks scary to you? Are you are you scared? for the characters of these ticks in this movie. I am particularly predisposed to being terrified of little crawly blah, 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 things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good a lot of good sound work on the ticks by the way. We'll get to yeah, that later. Yeah, really but, good. Yeah. And but that no, I'm not scared of of the ticks or, or I'm not even I don't I don't believe that the characters would be scared. Another problem with this film, which I love and I'm going to just need to preface it with that because I do love sure. this film. Is is that at the beginning of the film, they they find a tick on Brutus the dog, mm. 
and and they and they talk about how it's impossible, how you can't just crush a tick. Mm-hmm. The and they immediately too... crush it. <laughs> well, no, they, they 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 set it on fire. Right. Yeah. Sure. Which which you know everything in this movie is telegraphed. Everything is is uh, is is a setup for later. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I mean, kind of good in terms of writing, and then also kind of terrible in terms of writing because you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, they they telegraphed that earlier. Sure. But yeah, so ticks are too strong to just crush. Mm. But when the ticks are big, they're crushing them all over the place. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a lot of stuff about how the ticks behave. At, you know, what I look for in a movie like this in terms of my enemy is a little bit of consistency or at least yeah. like a solid level of mystery concealing some sort of like fatal flaw or whatever. But these are all over the fucking show. There's no consistency and therefore no threat, in my opinion, uh, which... Yeah. Which kind of bums me out a little bit. But, you know, like you, I, it didn't take away from the fact I enjoyed pretty much every time Tix showed up in this movie, something cool happened. And I think maybe they just forfeited that, like a consistent enemy for, you know, what can we do that's really fun with these creatures? It's especially funny in the in the scene at the vets when yeah. this vet is just like, I don't know, a super bug scientist also. And it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, these bugs have been uh, increased by some sort of herbal pesticide or whatever, yeah. like... Oh, I can see that there's some goo here, and this goo means <laughs> this thing. Like, it's it's just like, why bother having that in there? We know why it's happened. The characters don't need to know. Well, I can tell you why, because it's for people like me. It, that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, because I love any, any autopsy scene. The more over the top, the better. Anytime there's like some very expendable medical expert brought in to cut open a creature, a human, a victim, anything... Whatever happens next is at least going to be memorable. And she's fucking brilliant because at one point she says, um, like it was on an LSD trip or something. Like what kind of vet is thinking neurotoxin and equating it with an LSD trip? One that's out of her mind. Uh, And then she tells the the guys not to, don't tell anyone about the weed. Like (laughs) I thought she was going to come back at the end as like one of the weed farmers or something. She was great. She's fully hardcore. She's, She's part of a really good chase scene where she's got the little turd net trying to catch a tick with a little net. Uh, she doesn't, like like you said, not great in terms of exposition or telling us anything we didn't already know, but we really get to see inside the ticks in that dissection scene, which is really cool to me. I like that a lot. I mean, I like it all. I just think none of it needs to happen. Yeah, it doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Like, the characters don't need to know why the, the ticks are big. I guess they don't know that those the, the bad guys who are sort of comically over the top, mm. hey, we're the bad guys, guys. They suck. Hey. Uh, in that scene when it's like when they come and meet them at the campfire or not yeah. the campfire but around the around the fire early on and they're like hey there's some pretty bad guys around here that grow weed <laughs> uh, it's not us they look like us but they're, <laughs> they're other guys yeah and there's two of them but it's not us yeah yeah they, they were bad it's so bad yeah i mean of course it's hand-fisted in in telling us everything that we don't need to know of course it is it's that kind of movie it's probably it's assuming that we're thick as fuck and that we have no idea what's going on, that we can't equate green dripping goo with mutation when we're born yeah. knowing that. Do you know what I mean? Especially people of this generation, we're born knowing as soon as we see green goo, something's getting mutated. So yeah, yeah sure. I was dozing off a little bit through bits like that. But yeah, the, the vet scene I thought was really good. It reminded me of, do you know in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm. they're filming the cartoon with baby Benjamin or whatever the baby's called. Yeah. Ba- baby Herman. And... um roger rabbit's like chasing him around and he's like knocking pots and pans off and yeah. like heading towards the fire it's it's so cartoonish and yeah. and, and daft Very i silly. really really enjoyed it it's it's just like watching a an old cartoon but specifically 
like I say, that that Roger Rabbit cartoon. For it sure. does the little like like when it's getting ready to run, like it runs in spot for like half a second. It's so dumb. It's You're expecting great. that kind of sound work, aren't you? You're expecting like and stuff yeah. while it's while it's all cracking off. But it's not it's not done for slapstick. There's there's bits that feel slapstick. You know, a, a lot of the stuff with Clint Howard feels very slapstick when he falls backwards and puts his foot in his own bear trap. That is yeah. straight up Looney Tunes. And that's nice. Like bringing in those those influences is nice, but I don't think it hits home as well as some comedy horror of, of this type because it's just tonally slightly off. Yeah. That being said, Again, I think everyone in that whole scene does a really good job. Um, and we get to see a lot of the running ticks in those scenes properly close up for the first time. So we really get to see the special effects at play, which was great. Yeah, it has the best moment, I think, of the whole film, which is where you're in Seth Green's POV and, yeah. the, and the tick jumps at sure. you. And that's probably the, the nearest thing to scary in the entire film. I agree. Is that you're like, ooh, it's yeah. coming at me. And the sound is great in that moment. Yeah. It's, you know they're sitting there with the foley and they're thinking what's the noise of this tick flying through the air for a few seconds uh, and it's a creepy airy sound it's really good it's just like a, a space with a, a, a you know they bring in this sound that, that actually adds a level of threat to the ticks that's quite cool yeah um, but the ticks are conquered too easy too early by just being pulled off people's bodies and stamped on so unless yeah. you've got a billion of them i'm just not scared there's there's a moment in that that really sort of pulls me out as well which is when the tick is on seth green's face yeah and they're trying to pull it off. And all it is is like, it's just it's like, like hooked fish in hooked his cheek. one of his legs, one of yeah. his legs in his cheek. It's like, how, how strong is this, is this leg? <laughs> yeah. And then it's just <laughs> like, and it's off. Yeah. Like, and they stamp on it. I, I get that the fear of the ticks is supposed to be the thing that's motivating people to lose their shit and, and, and not deal with them well. You know, anything, anything small, creepy, quick and clicky. And, you know, that's going to immediately make you like arms in the air running around, you know, and that puts you in a, a weakened state in terms of defense i get that but that that means that the characters need to do that really convincingly and they don't unfortunately. yeah they don't no yeah. but like i say the 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 tick jumping at the camera i think it makes me feel in that in that one moment mm. probably how entire audiences felt in that lumiere brothers film of the train coming towards the camera <laughs> yeah yeah just for a second you're like Whoa, hold on yeah 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 agreed and the sound, I know I keep banging on about the sound work in this movie, but it's one thing that kept catching my ear. The sound on the ticks is fantastic. The score is is pretty solid. It opens with that kind of Goonies-esque, slightly dark, but quite romantic, semi-swashbuckly opening theme, which comes back a few times. You do get some good sort of dread music in there that doesn't lean on synth, doesn't go over the top with strings. It's just quite quite well-pitched. And whenever you get ticks rampaging, you get these cool plinky little string bits happening and it's not reinventing the wheel but it is doing a really good job of underpinning what is essentially building to a climax i think the score does that really well especially when you've got like tough troubled kids potentially we could have been in absolute 90s rap hell we could have been yeah. we could have been beats um, it could have been absolutely dross but we i think we got lucky with the score the score works yeah so the score is done by daniel licht who is who's done quite a lot of good stuff interesting okay even like fairly recently like he's been working on stuff like dexter and and stuff like that so like fairly prestige projects chops did a, did a lot of like the the middling budget schlocky horror mid-90s stuff so he's in like he did like thinner which i oh, watched nice. quite recently nice what else have we got here in his little list Ooh, amityville the new generation let's not talk about that <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the Hellraiser sequels. He's sort of like bibbling around in this sort of 
janky horror world for a while. And Children then, of the Corn 2. Yeah. And then he starts doing some games. So he's doing the, the big sort of dread guy in some of the Silent Hill sequel games. Oh, which is, that's, you know, say no more. That, I yeah. mean, that The music in those games is phenomenal. Yeah. And so he, I guess he comes out of that, like, because because the because the it's so effective in the Silent Hill games that he comes yeah. out and suddenly is is in demand. Well, he's making money there as well, isn't he? Transitioning to games of of that type, you know, he's he's having a great career by the look of things. And yeah. much respect to him, you know this this movie could have been, you know, score wise, it could have just been knocked out on a keyboard like a few of the movies we've done so far. But it's it's semi orchestral, like it's it's pretty. I mean, it would be really moving if it weren't for. You know, some of the performances kind of letting it down a little bit. But I thought it was really strong. I, I didn't remember what the music was like in this at all. And I sure. sort of remembered that it was a Richard Band score because Richard right. Band did so much of that work with with Brian Usner in the, in this period. Right. And I love Richard Band, like, more than is reasonable. Uh, but because everything is a bit janky and over the top in a sure. way that is loads of fun. I don't know if, you, if you've seen the first Troll movie. Not for a long time. I think I saw it when I was pretty hammered once. Maybe when we're done here, we'll we'll have a sit and listen to to uh, a, a song from that soundtrack, which I I listen to all the time. Oh, much awesome! To the chagrin of Kaz, but it's <laughs> it's it's amazing. But yeah, anyway, so I've got I've got quite a lot of notes that I was taking as the movie went on. Things that kind of leapt out at me as good and bad and everything in between. Uh, do you yeah. want to do a bit of that? Yeah, sure. So I've got. I think we've covered most of my notes here. So I think the the last big note that I've got is there's a really effective scene you sort of ignore because the characters are nothing, mm. which is the the fishing scene where they find the sheriff's body. And it's like a really good fake out. Some good like, bits in there. You've got, what what's her name? Melissa mm. going into the water and we're expecting horrible tick. Yeah. Maybe... I don't know. I'm always expecting leeches in that situation because sure. of Stand By Me. But, I was um, expecting like water boatman tick along the surface of the water type thing. Yeah. POV up to her mouth or something. Yeah. But you don't get any of that. You get a dead sheriff bobbing around in the water. And Your I think favorite. that's great. Yeah, dead cop. Yeah. I knew you'd love that. <laughs> big big fan of dead cops. But you also get a plot point. You actually get some, you know, th- oh, okay, so somebody's killed the sheriff. You know, you actually learn something and it's it's... Yeah, a weird scene, you know, all of a sudden this mute character comes out of being mute because she loves fishing, sure. Yeah. And then yep. <laughs> But the my favourite line and she's, and she's never mute again. Exactly. Yeah. It's like she's she's, just she's broken the spell. Fully a part of the cast now. But yeah. w- when she hooks the fish, she she literally looks Melissa dead in the eye and says, Go in the pond. <laughs> Such a shit line. And and she says no, and she says, Go in the pond, and she goes in. And that's the the sort of lead up to finding the sheriff but yeah I, I like that scene it did it did a couple of good things for me there i mean my fav my, my two favorite scenes in the movie which really stood out for me in terms of they felt like a, it felt like a different movie felt like they'd, they'd really nailed it here and i would have loved more of it is both the neurotoxin hallucination scenes mm. so uh, when we see said dead sheriff standing on the porch with the gun and he's kind of covered in moss and he's obviously like zombified and, um, you know, the the bad guy, whatever the redneck bad guy is hallucinating the sheriff. That is absolutely brilliant. To top that, we get Clint Howard reanimated for a hallucination scene with his iconic, I'm infested line, which is yeah. absolutely amazing. And both those scenes 
rip. And they both remind me of Pet Cemetery. They have that creepy, mm. ghoulish, semi-hallucinogenic, like vignetted kind of creepy elements to them. They both work so well. And we only get about 10 seconds of that for the whole movie. So either that's used expertly sparingly or it's just something I would have wanted more of in the movie. What, what did you think of those two scenes? Because I thought they were ghoulish enough to really sort of catch your eye. Yeah, well, I think there's there's a third hallucination scene, oh, is there isn't a there? Third? Where when uh, Carlton Banks thinks he's in LA, of and he's course, is being, being yeah. sort of shot at by other gangbangers, other G's, um, yeah, which is isn't as effective, less memorable, yeah. But no, I do love those two scenes. I think, like we said at the at the top, like more Clint Howard is 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 better, yeah. So so him coming back. And, like, I've always really loved the sort of tropey nature of, like, I'm hallucinating. I think the person that loves me or cares for me is actually desperately trying to hurt me. Sure. Um, which is the entire plot of the movie House. Which is on our list. So, I yeah, so I love that. Mm-hmm. And, like, both of those scenes play on that. I mean, the bad guy, the big bad guy doesn't necessarily love the other bad guy, but they're at least on the same side. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's that's something that always resonates with me. Definitely. I don't think it really plays out into anything. It doesn't become anything. No. Maybe with the other guy, with the with the bad guy, because he drives Through recklessly him. as a result. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just loved that they were obviously like, I think there was a lot of care and attention that went into those hallucination scenes because they mm. were... Like you said, now that I think that there's three, they're actually spaced out quite well in the movie, aren't they? Yeah. And they're highly effective, I think. They're just, they're horror scenes for me, while everything else is kind of schlocky, creature nothingy stuff. Those are the bits where I could have been scared if the rest yeah. of the movie backed them up. I like those a lot. I, I kind of wish we had one before the explanation of why. Sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What happens is we get the explanation of why, and then we immediately get the Carlton Banks one. Yeah. Or the Alfonso Rivera one. Mm. We shouldn't keep calling him Carlton Banks. (laughs) But we immediately get it. So it's like, this explanation only exists. So we understand this. But I think if we're like, what are these weird scenes that are happening Mm. weirdly? And like, we know that Brian Usner has has weirdness in him. He made society for fuck's sake. Sure. Like, he is the, the father of the shunt. It would be nice to have a bit more of that weirdness. Definitely. And and unapologetically as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, the little highlights that we get are nice. Yeah. Little 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 dust of of good. Absolute highlight real stuff in my opinion. Yeah. You know, those those two uh in particular the grizzlier hallucination scenes definitely like the two best bits in the movie for me. You know, one thing the movie does really well, we've already said is is evolve Seth Green's character from just like a pouty, panicky, very dismissibly kind of weak loserish type character into somebody who I guess ostensibly saves the day kind of I feel like the movie was a little bit anticlimactic at the end but he's the one that sort of steps up while everyone else is going to shit and you kind of saw that coming but he does it satisfactorily I think we know that he knows how to deal with ticks at the very beginning because he sets that little tick on fire yep I mean it's 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 stupid to me that that he knows, he picks up a tick and he looks at the tick and everybody looks at the tick and it's like, hey, look at this tick. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to set this tick on fire. And then he sets the tick on fire. And I mean, it doesn't quite go like that, but it's like basically <laughs> It kind of does. <laughs> yeah. And then these big ticks come out and everyone's like, what What are these creatures that look like big ticks? Are they ticks? They're not ticks. Could they be ticks? No. How will we ever destroy them? Everyone's like, what was this big bug? These big bugs? Like, no one's like, well, yeah, they're, they're ticks. It takes the vet to be like hey these are ticks when you know that they're ticks you've, you've looked at a tick and they don't call them ticks 
at all for the rest of no. the movie. They're bugs. Yeah. So what we're saying is these guys are dumb and everything that happens at the end that could have been quite a cool Night of the Living Dead type scenario actually just ends up being a bit of a series of fuck-ups that leads to a giant tick being born out of Carlton Banks's splitting head. Yeah. In terms of like the hatching scene there where the tick's obviously incubated inside him, grown to sort of half man size and then bust his way out. What did you think of the effects? How did that scene work for you? I think the effects are great. Mm. I mean, I love a head splitting in half. Fuck yeah. In, in terms of like the special effects, we're in Scanner's sequels mm. or even like Scanner Cop territory. Sure. Where these aren't prestige special effects, but they're, but they're grisly and they're effective enough that it works for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't buy any of it. Like, mm. why is the tick massive that's coming out of him? Like, it's... There are ticks that are living inside other people. I think I know why. Oh. And it's only just occurred to me now that we're saying it out loud. Because his character, Carlos Rivera's character, spends so much time all fucked up in that ditch eating all those steroids. Yes. It's roid tick. It is. It's tick on roids. Yeah, okay. But why? (laughs) You're you're spelling everything in this movie out that's so glaringly obvious it hurts. Why aren't you saying like... Oh my god, it must be the steroids. Like, it would take you half a second to tell the audience that. It's pretty fucking obscure. I mean, it's pretty obscure to be like, oh, I'm dying. I better eat all these steroids. Bury all these roids. I've been <laughs> shot. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great. Again, one of my favorite scenes in the movie has a Rambo moment where he's been shot, bitten by ticks, laying in a ditch, just shoveling steroids into his mouth. Like, it's really fucking cool. I like that bit a lot. But no, you're right. It must be the steroids. It must be the roids. Yeah, it's the only <laughs> logical explanation. But yeah, so roid tick, you know, for me, if you're going to split a head in half, I mean, that looks really fucking hard to pull off. I don't know a lot about special effects, but the head itself has to be great. First of all, it has to look like the actual actor's head, and it really does. And then when you split it in half, it has to split in the right place. It has to have all the stuff inside the head that makes you not think it's just some clay. And it looks genuinely cool when that head goes in half. Like, I've seen it done badly. I don't know if I've seen it done a thousand times better than that. I thought it was a really good head split. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I think... That speaks to the the fact that it's an it's a special effects forward movie, so yeah. it's it's an idea from Doug Bezik, which I think in the in the trivia it says that he wrote the script, or it's based on a script that he wrote years before. Sure. Uh, in the in the in the movie's actual credits, it says based on an idea by. Yes. Yeah, and I'm it. wondering if it's literally just here are some set pieces that I've thought of when I've been noodling around in my special yeah. effects lab. Uh, here's a giant tick coming out of a guy. Here's some scuttling little fuckers that I've created. Yeah. Like... Here's some stuff I can pull off really well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought that the limbs coming out of his limbs were quite cool. That's the only time in the whole movie where the sound let it down, I think, because it just sounded like Mm. ripping wet denim over and over and over for each, like, limb coming out, and it just kind of ruined... You could have had some real creaky, clicky, sort of, like, stretching out, like, really coming-to-be type sounds, and it was just a bit like... (laughs) I think I, I made a note there that I think that they reuse the exact same sound effect twice as well. Yeah, like yeah. for each limb, it's like it's like this is the same thing, which feels rushed given the care yeah. and attention to a lot of the tick sounds in the movie. But Big Tick was was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I thought um, again, not even remotely scary, just like a big lumbering, fairly useless, immediately killed uh, monster tick. But it looked cool. Ticks are. I think by their very nature, less scary the bigger they get. Yeah. 
Oh god, a hundred percent agree. Great point. Like Which the, undermines the, the entire premise of the movie. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, that's why like all the scenes in arachnophobia where the spiders are small are fucking terrifying. Yeah, I mean uh, I think I don't I don't think the same thing applies to spiders. I think the bigger a spider, the scarier the spider. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. But, but yeah, because be, because a spider is ultimately harmless, most yeah. spiders. Like the, the Wait, what? Is- <laughs> spiders aren't harmless, they fucking kill you, dude. No, not normal spiders. Uh, but quite a few spiders. I wouldn't put spiders in the harmless insect arachnid category of my brain. I'd put like a woodlouse in the harmless. <laughs> well, okay. If you if you took a harmless spider, okay, like a, a house spider, a wolf spider, yeah, or something, yeah, and, and and you and you blew it up to the size of a human man. Fuck yeah, terrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Yeah, awful nightmare fuel. And, but like completely harmless, although maybe not harmless at that size. Who knows? Not at that size. Well, they they quite famously have the you know they have poison. They just can't get through your skin. Well, I thought that was Daddy Longlegs. Them too. Imagine a big Daddy Longlegs. I think there's a movie in that because they're so they're so shit, aren't they, Daddy Longlegs? Like they yeah. they pull their own legs off by accident. Do you know what I mean? Like there's got to be a good comedy horror creature movie where a giant Daddy Longlegs that's just a complete fuck up. Is trying to destroy everyone with its yeah, like you die because it because of the weight of it just sort of accidentally bashing into you. Yeah, it just like takes out whole buildings with its big stupid legs that fall off, and like yeah. an army of Jules, my friend Jules. His biggest fear is a daddy long legs. He goes into absolute like squealing child mode if one's anywhere near him. I have I have a similar thing with moths. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I think because because moths don't exist, like they're just a collection of dust that's somehow sentient. <laughs> Like for a minute there, I thought you were denying the actual <laughs> reality of the creature, the moth. Like <laughs> you know, like unicorns, moths aren't real, so that's why they're so scary. <laughs> but no, because like I don't know that they're, they're literally. I, mean, I don't know if it is literally. I'm not a, an, an etymologist. Is it an etymologist that the, the bug folks? Is that an entomologist? entomologist? Yeah. Doesn't an etymologist study like the origin of language? Yeah. Or words? I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe they study the, the word moth. The word moth. But yeah, because they're basically a sentient collection of dust. Yeah. With with wings. Just, I don't know, the idea of... The fluttery. The, yeah, the flutter. The, the dusty cocoon. flutter. Hmm. I, th- I think it might go back to Silence of the Lambs and then finding the moth cocoon in the guy's throat. I think oh, that might yeah, be dude. it. Great scene. I think that might be it. I, the, the fear principle of this movie is wrong because it's clumsy and it's lazy. It says, here's a small creature that's really quite unnerving. Like, you find yeah. a tick on you, you freak out for a lot of reasons. Not just the fact that there's something burrowed into your skin, sucking blood, and you can't even feel it, but because the fucking illnesses you can get from ticks are horrible. They're, they're like quick, darty, robotic little creatures. The premise that just making that bigger will make it more scary shows no real understanding of the psychology of fear to me. And it's just a yeah. quick, easy gimmick. Well, I think they could, in theory, be scary when they're at the hand size that yeah. they are. Face hugger style, yeah. Yeah, they could be scary then. They're not, mm. but they could be in, yeah. in, 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 the, in a different movie, on a different universe. I think in a different setting as well. I just don't find them scary in this big open woodland. You know, it's, it's like yeah. the jeopardy is kind of removed by all the space. But you know, I don't, I don't know shit, so I'm not going to over criticize the placement of the ticks. 
there's there's clearly a reason that they put them in this environment. It's their natural environment, I guess. But I love every single time one is squashed or the guts fly out of its ass or it's like smashed in some way, even when they're popped with fire, I think the effects are pretty bang on. And if, yeah. if all of this, you know, fairly clumsy, you know, fear mongering is, is a vehicle for those effects, then it, you know, it does a really great job. Like you said, if you look at it as an effects forward creature flick, it ticks a lot of boxes pretty well in that regard. It does. I, I don't really remember how the big tick is dispatched. Really badly. I have a lot of thoughts on this. So the worst part of the movie for me is when the previously mute character begins sweeping the ticks across the floor to get rid of yeah. them. Because any big bad that you can dispatch by sweeping it aside with a shitty broom, not particularly scary to me. Uh, yeah. what, they, what they then do, just when I thought, like, surely this broom shit can't go on any longer, they light the broom on fire and use the sort of smoldering ends to pop a few ticks. And then they launch this flaming broom up to Seth Green's character as he's climbing through the window and he sticks it in the big tick's mouth and the big tick explodes. And yes, then yes. your favorite, Jamie a propane tank goes and blows up the whole house. And we had a good like three second lingering shot of a giant propane tank that was clearly a miniature. And I was like, JB's going to love this. <laughs> it, it goes back to those those similarities with fucking Splinter, right? Yeah. It's like there's For so sure. many of the same bits of bits of DNA that sort of are sprinkled throughout this. Yeah. And throughout Splinter. I just, I don't know. I love that. I think that's great. I'd be amazed if the people that made Splinter hadn't even, you know, at least been aware of this movie as as part of a, a creature, you know, small creature to big creature genre. Do you know what I mean? They must yeah. have, like, at least been aware of ticks. Yeah, and I think maybe at the end, like, the, the thing that is probably the most scary that isn't just the idea of a creature mm. is that sort of Rio Bravo, like, hunker down yep. siege bit that's happening towards the end based on the the big weed fire and i don't think they did anything with the fact that the big weed fire would get people high i think that would be a really fun yeah ending everyone baked hallucinating on neurotoxin running around with a bunch of giant ticks the the yeah. chaos factor would have been brilliant yeah the the seth green shoving the broom the broom is barely on fire and he shoves it into the tick's mouth and i'm just thinking this has to be like the false ending of this giant beast, but it's not. And I think what they're trying to do is like an incredible shrinking man type thing. Uh, the, like the gesture of lunging this like sword lance like broom into the mouth. I get it. But anytime a tiny bit of fire touches these ticks, they detonate immediately, which is kind of funny and pretty cool. Like it's again, it's yeah. not in keeping with how anything works, but it's great. And I just felt like that was a slight let down in terms of defeating the giant monster tick that didn't even eat anyone didn't actually do much in terms of like damage um could have like cut someone in half pretty easily with the big like pincery proboscis type stuff at the front but at least we get to see it like rampaging through the house a little bit we get to see it rearing up we get real close in on its face and we get to see all the creature bits working up front uh and we and we do get this weird like up and down ladder scene that that brings in a bit of jeopardy that's quite fun and yes, that's you know that's ultimately how that that tick is dispatched. It all goes back to the the bigger they are, the lamer they are. But you know, as far as endings go, I watched it last night, and I, unlike some people who watched it with me, remembered how it ended the next day, and actually yeah. found it quite entertaining. I, I I knew this was going to happen, and I still absolutely loved it. They drive back to L.A., they park, you get this L.A. Vista skyscape, like. 
here we are, we're home, back in the city. And then plop, there's a tick on the floor, that, an egg, sorry, that falls off the bottom of the van. And I thought, great, here comes ticks two, ticks in LA. You know, that could be amazing for my money. Did it ever happen, yeah, Jamie? Like, no, it didn't. Fuck. <laughs> but like, sometimes the threat of a sequel is enough. Like, you can, you've, you've already envisioned that film in your brain, right? Yeah, and it's great. I, I, I'm also not sure if there's any real threat there in the idea of, one egg in mm. i i don't know how ticks multiply do they just do they are they born pregnant and they lay eggs <laughs> born like, pregnant that's so sick born pregnant the jamie carruthers story <laughs> <laughs> what i was you know hoping I, mean? I don't know either i'm not a anologist but what i was really fucking hoping is that the tick would run out and it would bite this fucking beast of a rat and the rat would have like tick rat babies and the rats would like grow up to be rat ticks and they would eat yuppies and just start slowly dismantling the fabric of society. That would have been the sequel I wanted. But uh, Yeah, no, that sounds good. Who knows? Maybe they're just born pregnant and there's loads of ticks running around not doing much and just getting like, popped by fiery brooms. You get three ticks out of an egg, right? Is is what's established in the in the I think the budget dictates there are three ticks in an egg, yeah. <laughs> so so there, there are at most three ticks in the middle of the road in LA. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> <laughs> immediately eaten by pigeons. Game over. Like yeah, like eaten by pigeons, run over by a car. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not getting anywhere. They're not. There's no sequel there. No. So even that kind of fails to give yeah. jeopardy or or like fear or danger. They're not in their natural habitat. There's nothing that that can happen really. I mean, unless. They they are born pregnant and they instantly lay a bunch of eggs. Yeah, up to and I don't know, th- maybe up to three eggs, maybe. <laughs> and, and they maybe they uh, maybe the smog, smog in the in the early nineties in LA was a thing, right? Yeah, it's for still sure. a thing. Oh, it's still a thing, big time. Well, it's it, we we only heard about it in the early nineties. Oh, sure. and it was like a, a major threat. Yeah, is there I mean, is there a movie about smog? You must know. Is there a horror movie about smog? Uh, the smog. John Carpenter's The Smog. The um, Smog, yeah. <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch a movie about smog. Yeah? Yep. Big fan of the vaporous enemy. And you know what? You could get that made nowadays with uh, climate change being such a hot issue and nobody monetizing it, I think. <laughs> you, could, you could make smog. That'd be great. I think plenty of people are monetizing climate change. Think of all the books. But not as like a, a horror enemy. It's all disaster stuff. It's all disaster yeah, movies and end of the world stuff. Imagine like a... I just, I'm not sure how much... Like what, what, what happens is that you, you're you in the smog and you're melted or whatever, right? Like it, Ooh, it, it, nice. it does something to your your epidermis or, or like your organs. Uh, like I, I'm not sure how much mileage there is in that. What, people melting in smog? Jamie, you love movies based on less. Much less. <laughs> I just don't know what, what what else you could do. I, I'm like thinking get... more like the a mind-altering smog. Maybe that slowly alters your physical appearance as well. Um, okay. Not that just turns you into a zombie. All right, it's I haven't thought it through. This, this idea was not born pregnant. I need to work on it. But I will write <laughs> the movie Smog and I will bring it to theatres near you. No, I, I I do like the idea of a mind altering thing, but Starring then you're in Carlos like Ribeiro. Alfonso, Alfonso Ribeiro, <laughs> Carlos his brother. Carlos, yeah, right. I guess because he keeps calling people Holmes. Yeah, I mean, just 
just not much doing with that character at the end apart from you know some good i mean we're missing a key alfonso ribeiro scene here this this is the only bit of act in the whole movie i think this is where somebody acts they do a really good job of it and your heartstrings are pulled to the point where it's almost moving the death of uh alfonso ribeiro's dog brutus is pretty brutal as far as dogs dying in movies goes, I mean, it's always, if it's done well, it's always really hard to watch. It's always pretty painful. And this was a really fucking rough dog dying scene, right? Like, yeah, but I just don't really buy anything that's happening in the film ever. So I just mm. don't, it didn't land with me the same way that it would if it was a different movie and a different dog, and a different owner and a different tick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get it. But what, where I was, where I was is I was like, he has to do something great at some point. He's not going to be in this movie and kind of carry a lot of the action without having like a Jeopardy scene or a breakdown or something. And when his dog is bitten by a tick and it's twitching around on the floor and it's really graphic, it looks like a real dog twitching and going nuts. And then obviously it dies and he's carrying it in his arms and he delivers the monologue and he says the word Brutus quite a lot and he's crying. I thought, okay, this is what you're getting paid for. You've actually brought some, uh, you know, a bit of the stage to this movie. And I think he does it really well. I'll give him a lot of credit for that scene. Yeah, no, I think I think he's fine. I just don't I just don't care about anything that's happening. Yeah, there's no real relationship between him and his dog to begin with. It's just sad that a dog dies. That's it. Yeah. Really. And like, yeah. And that's it. And like, yeah, yeah is is most of what happens <laughs> in this movie. But I, you know, I had a blast watching it. I thought it was very fun. Um, if if the premise is, here's all these really cool looking and sounding ticks that are going to get squished, stomped, splattered, popped, burned, explode, burst out of Carlton Banks's head. Uh, I'm having a good time from start to finish, pretty much. Yeah. Throw in Clint Howard. Fuck yeah. Throw in a hallucinatory, bizarre, eyeless, screaming, I'm infested, Clint Howard. And I'm having a great night at the movies. Everything else kind of drips away when you boil it down to its essence there's something else about Clint Howard that I want to talk about which is the the absolute blue balls of his death scene which I love yeah definitely is that he's he's about to shoot himself in the head because yes. he's so fucked up by having all these ticks in him yep. and he just can't and he just dies and he just dies and I just I love that so much with the gun to his head he does yeah. it really well there is a moment there where he's shooting ticks that have burrowed under his skin so he's just shooting his legs which is great Really grisly, uh, expertly delivered body horror. So good. He doesn't beg for death, which is one of my favorite things when something's so bad, someone's begging for death. He does say shoot me, but he doesn't say kill me because I thought he wanted her to like shoot his cheek and maybe not kill him, which, you know, is obviously like good foreshadowing for the fact he can't shoot his own head and just becomes dead. Fucking superb. Everything that guy touched in this movie. Also, at the beginning, he's drinking Thai food. Well, he's listening to British radio as well, so we, yeah. we we guess he's an anglophile, but it's not really. It's just it's, it's just there. not explored. It's no. it's not because he hasn't delivered a line at that point. He's drinking typhoo. He's listening to the BBC World Service, but he hasn't said anything. And I'm thinking, oh, are we going to get English Clint Howard here? Is that what's coming? No, not at all. Is it explained? Nope. But he's drinking. So typhoo, obviously, like one of the worst teas ever pretty much yeah i mean i'm not a big tea guy i love tea i've taken an absolute hammering in tea circles for liking a cup of typhoo here and there but it's a terrible tea it's objectively poor and you know why the fuck why is there a box of typhoo on this movie set why is he drinking it never explained 
BBC World yeah. Service, why? Never explained, but fun. I, wonder, I mean, I wonder if Typhoo is a, is a brand in America also. I'd be absolutely astonished if it was. Totally willing to, to find out and let you know next episode. But, I mean, Lipton is the market dominator. If he's drinking tea, you'd expect it to be Lipton. So I think it's a, it's a choice. Like, there's, they're making him, they're anglicizing him in some bizarre way for some reason. I, yeah. Now that I think of it, I think the other bad guy, Sir, I think he's supposed to be English, but he just can't do it. Oh, really? I bet the script says, like, you're English. And he was like, can't do that accent, just going to be American and say some English things. And obviously he's supposed to be his boss, I think maybe there's some something there. Yeah, that's 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 a good show. The character of Sir, I think, is supposed to have like upsetting plantation vibes. He is by far the least enjoyable human in this movie, as far as I'm concerned. Played by Barry Lynch, uh, yeah. a Brooklyn Brooklyn New Yorker, known for not much and just kind of ruins everything he touches in this movie, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I would not be amazed to learn that maybe he was supposed to be a Brit and just didn't. Decided not to. <laughs> nah, I think I won't do that. Yeah, and no, I think he's he's another person that was that was involved in like this sort of loads of TV stuff, and then right. like a bit of like. So Brian Usner worked with uh, Charles Band at Empire Pictures, mm-hmm. so like sort of bibbled around in the Empire Pictures world for a bit. I think he's in like Demonic Toys and stuff like that. I think he's like, still acting, according to the web oh, really mm. i mean i imagine like you've got an actor of rance howard's caliber in this movie you put a guy like him next to him he's always going to look fucking terrible so yeah wasn't really into his performance or that side of the plot really anytime you bring in like a supposed to be sort of semi well-to-do guy and his hick associate i'm just like oh, here we go they are more not scary, but they they they're more antagonistic than the than the ticks. Yeah, they're racists. Like, they're pervs. They bring that sort of sleazy fear, but not nothing that we really get to hang on to too much. Yeah, and I think I think that sort of goes back to the. I mean, I I sort of called it uh, Rio Bravo, but you sort of mentioned more Night of Living Dead, and I think you're a bit more on it there, and because obviously in in Night of Living Dead. The, the the people are meant to be just as just as terrible as the zombies. Sure. And so I think that that's that that is what they're trying to emulate there, isn't it? That like, mm. in even in a horrible situation, bad people are fucking dicks. Yeah, well, I love the idea of Night of the Living Dead meets Rio Bravo. I mean, that's two of my favorite genre movies. So you know that that has a recipe to be an amazing movie. Night of the Living Dead is is already kind of a, a, a Rio Bravo type situation, isn't it? Because it's yeah. a, it's it's the the siege. Yeah. The same as like Assault on Precinct 13 or yeah. any of Siege, those other Siege starring movies. Starring uh, Steven yeah. Seagal. <laughs> the Siege. Siege and, Siege and Seagal. Yep. Uh, <laughs> 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 For our listeners, Jamie is making a very dissatisfied face with his own uh, well, double entendre, I guess. Is that like, like I said about this film, they can't all be winners. They can't all be winners. <laughs> Give it up, man. Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. So give us your give us your rap on on ticks, Jamie. How do you feel? Well, my name is Jamie, and I've come to say I'll rap about ticks in a rapping way. <laughs> ticks is entirely of its time. It's it's aged in a way that you have to say both syllables. It's buckets of fun. 
buckets of gloop like you won't have a bad time but you might not have a good time (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's a pretty strong recommendation i'd say that you know teenagers could watch this and have a lot of fun i think i i don't know if the the 2023 modern zip zap tiktok teenagers will (laughs) zip zap (laughs) you know with their pocket organizers and their file of faxes yeah absolutely i just don't think they'll they'll have the time yeah i don't think there's enough for you know a modern horror viewer to necessarily you know grab onto and run with here but i wouldn't be surprised if this movie has uh, you know a small place in people's hearts because of those iconic scenes that we talked about yeah. you know it's, it's got to be in the clint uh howard highlight reel you know some of these yeah. scenes so I think it does does a few things well. It doesn't do enough really well to be kind of a creature feature classic for me, but no. it does it, it it sparks my imagination in places. There's some really fun aspects to the the movement of the creatures, the sound of the creatures, the way that they're lit is is actually quite cool. And um, I think it does its job fairly well. I, w- I would say it's definitely uh, it's definitely a, a, a B movie, and it's it's a B movie with a little bit more clout than a lot of B movies. It's just loads of fun, but there is there's enough downtime that you you sort of get a little bit. Oh, maybe I'll just check Twitter. Sure, it plods a little bit for a movie yeah. that's so full of scampering and leaping and darting and uh, you know exploding. There are there are moments that kind of limp along, but you, I don't think you can maintain that pace for for a ninety minute movie uh, without. Oh, it's actually one hour twenty five. My ideal length. I think it's. I think you can, and you should. Okay. Like I, I, I think a better movie would be more engaging when ticks aren't jumping at your face. Sure. I, I think that's the that's the difference. I think better dialogue, better acting mm. would me would make those those scenes where we're just getting to know the characters and we're and and because getting to know the characters and understanding who the characters are is all part of building in that peril right sure and we never really get that so we're never really scared for the characters because true and i think it's half because the ticks aren't particularly scary and half because we just don't really care yeah so better performances better script better everything would make those would make that just a bit more engaging and bring you into the film a bit more which i'm i'm completely fine to not have that but I think the the way that other films, like Friday the 13th films, get around that is by just killing the characters. Yeah. It's like you build that tension by just like you picking off people around the leads. Yeah, for and, sure. And, be, and because it doesn't have that, you, you never really get to build that dread, that peril. You don't really ever think, oh God, what's going to happen? The only thing, like obviously Alfonso Romero's character dies and he is ostensibly one of the leads at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's that's your only drive towards like peril. I mean, that's the thing. I would have loved to have had some larger ticks, you know, dragging people off into the woods at night, that kind of thing, picking them off. We don't get that. What we do get is, uh, you know, essentially a big monster finale. We get like a, you know, a huge mutagenic monster ripping its way through a house, which is very cool. And obviously like yeah. executed quite well. It's, it's probably not easy to do that kind of a set piece on this kind of a budget with the kind of creatures that you're working with. So I, I think I completely agree with you in that, yeah, vast amounts of it could have been a lot better with quite small, mindful tweaks. But it's very of its time, and that's kind of what people wanted at the time. Yeah. It is It is a bit of a 
you know, revisionist look at those classic B-movie creature features. And it does bring something interesting and new to the table in places. It's not scared to be ugly and quite gritty. It's not afraid to dance the line of campy. It does a lot of things just about on the line. And it comes out at the end um, with something at least memorable. So I definitely enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I think Clint Howard did something pretty special in here for sure. I'd watch it again just for his performance. Yeah, no, I love... The, all the Clint Howard stuff, and I think a ninety-minute Clint Howard versus Ticks movie. Oh God, yeah, would would have been amazing. Just a one yeah. as well, just like one guy versus Ticks for sure. Like imagine the the energy of the vet scene, but it's just mm. Clint Howard being chased around, and he's hitting it oh. with hammers or whatever he can hold. Dude, yes, dude, Evil Dead Two, but as Ticks. Yeah. And I would even just make him a vet and just have the whole movie be, he's in a vet office, these creatures keep, like dogs and and pets and shit keep coming in with ticks on them, and the ticks start, you know, they're not massive, but they're big for ticks, you know, they're maybe like a fist size, and they start attacking, and Clint Howard and Fisher Stevens have to fight their way out of this veterinary surgery. (laughs) I love, I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but I love Fisher Stevens. I did know that. (laughs) Oh, I mean, of course, yeah. We 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 did we talked about it in the in, in the, the burning in the burning, but yeah. I mean, no, I, I put those guys in a very similar ballpark. As I know, they're they're very different. They have very different careers, but you know, they're they're visually immediately arresting character mm. actors who have such a fucking great eye for horror performance. And I, I do you see them together in anything? I don't know if I've seen them together in anything. I don't think I have, but no, I can see it. Like mismatched buddy vet. Yeah, I think also a memory of this film that I had was that Clint Howard was a vet, but a different kind of like the other kind of vet, like he was okay. a veteran. Yeah, yeah, I can and see I don't that. Know, I don't know why I thought that, but I, th- I sort of had a memory of him. Maybe I've conflated two different things, but I have a memory of him in like fatigues or something. Sure, like battling bugs in fatigues. Huh. He's not in like Starship Troopers or something. I mean, he might be in Starship Troopers. That's the sort of thing that he might be in. Mm. But he's not he's not in that in any any major capacity. No. Maybe maybe you've just filled in his backstory in this movie and figured yeah, out maybe. why he is because they do mention that veterans, particularly Vietnam veterans were starting to monopolize this weed growing business. So maybe yeah, maybe, maybe we put it. him as a Vietnam vet. Or he's maybe He's got a bit of a Vietnam vet face, hasn't he? Oh god, yeah, he could be a Vietnam vet in every movie ever. He should, yeah. And he should be. He fucking should be. Let's start the campaign to have Clint Howard play a Vietnam veteran in every movie with a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, how many bugs flying towards your face out of five would you give ticks? Do you know what? I give it a solid 2.6 bugs flying yeah. towards my face. Um, it was it was a half-decent movie, I would say. Cool. What about you? How many uh, slowly erupting globulous eggs clinging to the wall of your closet would you give this movie? Same as you, but I'll round up. So three. Okay. Three three gooey eggs. <laughs> three born pregnant eggs in your closet. This has been Final Transmission. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today. So thanks, everyone, for, for coming to this issue. of. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for flicking through the pages of Final Transmission with us. You've now reached the sports section. Time to put it down. Finish your cup of Typho tea. And head outside and face the world. Thanks, everyone. 